0: Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking about four types of injured runners who won't get back to running quickly. Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Segler, and thanks for tuning in to the Doc on the Run podcast, where we help you understand how to keep training and running, even if you've been injured. Healing takes time. The longer you take to recover, the more fitness you're going to lose. But when you're an injured runner, the less time you spend healing, the sooner you're going to get back to running. So we all want to heal as quickly as possible. When doing virtual doctor visit consultations with patients over the phone or via webcam, just about every patient who comes to me for running injury advice is trying to figure out how to get better faster. After many years of working with runners, I've identified a few types of runners who seem to take a lot longer to get better. So it may help you to think about each of these different types of runners who don't get back to running as quickly as possible and see if you have any of these characteristics yourself. If so, you can identify them and do something about them. And if you're not sure, trust me, if you call me for a phone consultation or virtual doctor visit, I'll help you figure out whether or not you have any of these characteristics, and I won't sugarcoat it for you. So if you still need help, check out the virtual doctor visit link at the bottom of the show notes page for this episode. Now, I realize this episode is not going to be very popular, primarily because this episode is hopefully going to force you to take an introspective look at what you may actually be doing that is contributing to you not getting better or not getting better as quickly as possible. Well, the truth is we all do things that are not in our best interests. When we get injured, it's pretty easy to make small choices that actually add a lot of unnecessary additional time to our recovery. In many cases, getting better faster has to do with making very small changes that compound over time. The sooner you make those changes, the sooner you can start getting better results. The first type of runner who doesn't get better as quickly as possible is what I like to refer to as the ostrich. Sticking your head in the sand when things go wrong is not a great approach. You have to face your problems squarely. Even if an injury has the potential to disrupt your race, you have to look at the problem. If you don't look at the problem, you'll never find a solution. You cannot ignore an injury. I think that we runners might, as a group, be one of the worst offenders. We just ignore pain. Part of the reason for that, of course, is our training. After all, what is endurance training if not learning to tolerate, ignore, or run through the pain? We've all succeeded in races just because we were able to shut out the pain until we made it to the finish line. But the longer you ignore pain when you're injured, the further the finish line actually gets away from you. You don't get closer to your goal by staying injured longer. One of the other reasons we ignore aches and pains is that we think they will eventually just go away. It's great to be optimistic, but it's not great to be delusional. If you have pain in one specific location that lasts for more than three days, it's unlikely it will go away if you keep doing the same activities you've been doing. If you keep doing speed work, keep doing hill repeats, stick with all your long runs and think that pain will miraculously disappear in the middle of your run, you are probably mistaken. Don't stick your head in the sand. I'm not saying you necessarily have to talk to a doctor right away, but you have to do something. Talk to your coach. Keep a pain journal. Track the discomfort and see if it's getting better or worse. If the pain is getting more frequent or more intense, you have to take action. The second type of runner that doesn't get better quickly is what I like to refer to as the doctor's doormat. In many cases, doctors are bullies. There is still a tremendous amount of paternalistic attitude among doctors. They still wear white coats. They still want to give this air of authority. Doctors still want to believe that their many years of medical school and residency training far outweigh every bit of information that can be found online. Whether or not that's actually accurate is a completely different episode. Whether or not the doctor you've chosen to see is a bully, a slick salesman, or a fear monger, The doctor may successfully talk you into a number of different treatments or invasive procedures that may not be in your best interest. You have to be very cautious when considering any invasive or potentially disruptive treatment. Corticosteroid injections or cortisone injections can make structures made of collagen weaker. Weaker structures are more prone to rupture. Your Achilles tendon, the plantar fascia, the plantar plate ligament, the bone callus that is helping your sesamoid fracture heal, and all the cartilage in your joints, they are all made of collagen. If you are a runner and the doctor injects any of these structures, there's a much higher risk that you'll develop a problem, at least compared to a non-active patient. A fracture walking boot may be offered to you as a quick fix, but in most cases, there is nothing quick about the fix in a fracture walking boot. Most doctors will lock you up in a fracture walking boot for a period of several weeks. Studies have shown that in one week of using a fracture walking boot and crutches, you'll get a 17% reduction in the muscle diameter size in that leg. At four weeks, you get a 60% reduction. All of these treatments can be effective in certain circumstances, but you have to make sure you ask lots of questions and don't get pushed into any treatment if it doesn't feel right for you. And trust me, I know it's difficult to say no to a doctor. I actually had chest pain after my first Ironman race. Believe it or not, when I went to see a cardiologist, he actually scheduled me for a cardiac catheterization procedure where he might put a stent in one of the arteries in my heart. That was the first actual treatment or even genuine intention of taking a look at the condition of my heart. He was actually recommending this as his first course of action, an invasive cardiac procedure. When I figured out what was going on, it may not surprise you to hear that I said no. I asked the nurse to get my clothes and then I had a few choice words for the doctor. Of course, he made me feel bad about that and even suggested that leaving that day was foolish. But I wasn't going to be his doormat. I wasn't going to have an invasive cardiac procedure just so he could make another house payment. Oh, and by the way, I did get my heart checked out, and it turns out there was absolutely nothing wrong. And since that time, I've competed in 14 more Ironman races without any issues at all. There's almost no risk in getting a second opinion. You don't have to do everything the first doctor tells you to do. The third type of runner is a deaf runner. This is the Doc on the Run podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. What's a virtual doctor visit? The idea of not running at all while waiting for my foot to heal was simply depressing. I really needed a second opinion from an expert, someone who specializes in helping runners. But frankly, I just couldn't afford the cost of a house call. I saved enough money to pay for my next marathon registration. You will have an appointment with Dr. Segler, whether it's via Skype or on the phone. You can expect, one, he's gonna be on time. Two, he's gonna be able to spend more time with you than the typical uh, visit in a doctor's office. And both of those are gonna result in more effective diagnosis and treatment plan for you. At the other end of the spectrum is a runner who seems to be deaf, or maybe stubborn would be a better term to use. The reason I say deaf is simple. Several times a year, I lecture at medical conferences teaching other physicians how to treat running injuries differently. I often ask the audience, who here hates treating runners? After having asked auditoriums and conference halls filled with doctors that question for many years, the number one answer I get is, runners just don't listen. Well, I actually think runners listen very closely and attentively. I will concede that many times we runners don't like what we hear. About 30 years ago, an orthopedic surgeon reconstructed my knee and told me I would never be able to run again. I didn't like that answer. I didn't take his advice. Dr. Harvey would probably say, I didn't listen to him. Dr. Harvey might say, I'm deaf. Don't take this to mean you have to do everything the doctor says. I don't think you have to do that. But I think you have to listen to what the doctor has to say. I think you then have to take that information and listen to your own body. You have to listen to your gut. And if something doesn't feel right, you need to get a second opinion. You don't necessarily have to talk to another doctor, but you have to talk to somebody. Talk to your coach. Talk to your running buddies. Talk to your spouse. Talk to anyone who knows and understands you and really has your best interests at heart. Every doctor has a conflict of interest. Every doctor gets paid more for doing more procedures on you. Now, I understand that I, as a doctor, have those conflicts of interest. I make a whole lot more money if I see you at home during a house call to evaluate your running injury than if you listen to this podcast. In fact, when you listen to this podcast, I get paid precisely zero, but that's obviously not the function of this podcast. I'm not doing this to make money. I'm doing this to help you understand what you need to know to get better. Believe it or not, many of my colleagues scold me for doing this exact podcast. They don't like that I tell you doctors have conflict of interest. They don't like that I try to explain to you how to evaluate your own running injuries and get back to running without ever seeing a doctor. The fact that doctors get so upset about it highlights that very conflict of interest. Many doctors think that if you get better without a doctor getting paid, then the doctors are getting ripped off. But that's crazy. To me, that doesn't make any more sense than thinking that the water company in San Francisco will get upset by a nonprofit trying to produce clean water for people in Africa. So if the doctor seems to get upset with you because you're not listening, see if you can identify any conflict of interest. Point it out. What do you have to lose? If you're not going to do what the doctor says you need to do, you may as well let the doctor know why you're not going to do what they said. See what their reaction is. See if the doctor gets upset. Again, what do you have to lose at that point? Look, you hired a coach to get faster. You decided to pay somebody to tell you to do things you really don't want to do. And probably in an order that you don't necessarily agree with. Only because you believe that coach knows more than you about how to help you get better. You should have that same feeling about your doctor. You have to believe in the doctor. You have to believe in the doctor's ability to help you get better. And above all else, you have to believe your doctor wants to help you run again. If you can believe that your doctor wants to help you run again, then it will be much easier for you to listen to your doctor's advice. And the last one that we're going to talk about is what I think of as the couch potato. If I were to call you a couch potato, I'm guessing you'd be offended by that. But I'm not calling you a couch potato to upset you. I'm just suggesting that the term couch potato brings up a certain image or connotation that we all recognize and will never want to attach to ourselves. You may not be sitting on the couch all weekend eating Cheetos and hot dogs, but you probably think of yourself as someone who more consistently is taking the right actions to produce the results you want. But we are all lazy in some respect. But the problem with the sort of laziness I'm talking about here is that you don't really prioritize the really small things. I recently read a book called The Compound Effect. It was recommended to me by a truly inspirational runner named Gary. I interviewed Gary for a podcast episode because his story is so inspirational. You should check out the Doc on the Run podcast episode number 81, From 400 Pounds to Running 100 Miles. Well, Gary recommended that book to me. Now, in The Compound Effect, Darren Hardy talks about how all of the very small changes that we make can compound themselves over time. So what may seem like a tiny insignificant change one day adds up to significant results and ultimately massive changes over a period of weeks, months, or years. Change often starts with very small things done very consistently. Jim Rohn used to say that the problem with most small actions that can produce big changes is that they are so easy to do and so easy not to do. It's so easy to walk around the block and it's so easy not to do. It's so easy to ice your Achilles tendon before you go to sleep and it's so easy not to do. It's so easy to take a collagen supplement one hour before you work out and it's so easy not to do. The interesting thing is that we often define laziness as an attitude that makes someone unable or unwilling to do the hard work. But when you are an injured runner, laziness comes in subtle forms. The main thing I do differently when I work with runners is I help them identify the small differences between what they're doing now, what the doctor recommended, and what they could do to actually rapidly accelerate the healing process. I don't offer completely original or groundbreaking approaches. I just look for the small, subtle things that could be done a little bit differently that will start to compound themselves as you recover. I look for the little things. It may seem like really insignificant things, but they all add up to big results. In the end, if we make the right decisions and you take the right actions on a consistent basis, that means you are actually going to heal much faster than if you follow a conventional standard of care treatment plan. So don't be lazy. Think about what you could do to heal faster right now. Think about one small action you could do today that will definitely help your healing. What could you eat today that supports the healing process? What could you refuse to eat today that's actually counter to the healing process? It does take effort to think about and identify all of those small additions and subtractions, the nearly insignificant actions that don't seem like they will make a big difference today. It takes effort and confidence to realize that it's worth taking all of those small actions to get them to add up to a faster healing time. If you think you need help identifying those small actions that will help accelerate your healing over the course of time, you can schedule a virtual doctor visit where you and I will actually go through all of the differences between standard care and what would actually be the very best individualized treatment plan for you, given your particular injury, your particular goals, and believe it or not, your attitudes about what you need to do and what you should do to heal. Check out the virtual doctor visit link at the bottom of the show notes page for this episode and get back to running as quickly as possible. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me and then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.